Welcome to The State of the Planet, a series of conversations where we sit down with thought leaders to discuss, yes, you guessed it, the state of the planet. Today, we sit down with Emmy Kane. Emmy is the Senior Director of Digital Marketing and Communications at the award-winning nonprofit, The Lonely Whale, an organization that helps develop data-driven campaigns that reconnect us to each other and encourage behavior change away from single-use plastics and towards a healthy, thriving ocean. Emmy designed and executed the social and digital brand development of Lonely Whale, leading campaigns including the viral Stop Sucking Challenge, Hydrate Like campaign to personalize pop personalized plastic pollution and the Ocean Heroes Network, which hosts an annual boot camp, empowering emerging youth leaders to create their own campaigns against plastic pollution. Always allowing empathy and community to lead, Emmy has worked alongside people of all ages, backgrounds and industries to further the movement for clean seas and a more sustainable future. And might I add, Emmy Kane, a personal friend and personal hero, Welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and converse with me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's so special to be here. And it's just kind of wild to think about five years ago, you know, getting to know you through, you know, obviously a totally different world and food and being able to kind of bond and find those areas of intersection with our own interests in the climate and food and how we can bring people together. So I'm so excited to be with you. Yeah, I do feel fortunate that our paths crossed. Um, many moons ago, and that they converge yet again um, for you know impact. And I'm so excited to celebrate all of the work that you've been doing because you truly are a champion in many senses, um, but certainly for climate. And that is what we are about at Plant People and really working at that intersection of people and planet. So um, thank you. So we spoke last week about regenerative agriculture and the land, um, meaning we plant people and state of the planet. And today I think it would be really great to dive into your uh, world of expertise, which is the ocean. And it is a absolutely wild place. And there are some astonishing facts that I've learned about it. Um, but tell me in your own words, what are the oceans dealing with right now? And what is actually happening? Yeah, so there's a lot of things happening in the ocean right now. And I think it's important to note that the ocean's also been a little bit of our protector as well in the past couple decades, um, absorbing a lot of the heat and other impacts of climate change. Um, so kind of all the while we were living our lives and, and kind of unraveling what climate change was actually going to do to us as a human society. And the ocean was again, absorbing a lot of that impact. So um, ocean acidification is rising. Uh, the temperatures in the oceans are getting hotter. Oxygen is, is lowering. So it's changing that pH balance, um, which is really dangerous. It leads to animals not being able to create shells that are made of you know, bicarbonate materials, right? So think of a clam or a mussel that you might really like to eat and they can't create that, that shelter that they literally need to, to survive and to thrive. Um, same things with coral and coral bleaching, um, where these animals, these community organisms are literally letting go of their colors, bleaching themselves, turning to white because the stressors of the ocean are just too much for them to handle. So it's kind of dramatic, right? What's going on in the ocean and it's really scary. Um, there's also noise pollution, which is a huge issue. It's caused by underwater oil drilling. Um, 
caused by military research, so sonars and other sorts of things, which is very dangerous for animals like dolphins and whales, of course, which we borrow our name from at Lonely Whale. Um, and it's a, it's a scary thing for animals because so many marine creatures have learned to navigate their way underwater and live their lives underwater through sound. And so I can't even imagine what it would be like to constantly be living essentially in a construction zone where you can't talk to your mom or your dad or your friend or your neighbor because humans have made it so loud to live. And then of course there's plastic pollution, which is what we focus on mostly at Lonely Whale. And it's something that really kind of gets to that, you know, people and planet kind of intersection too. Plastic is something we all live with. You know, I don't, no matter how perfect you are as an environmentalist, plastic will show up in your life, right? And it's, um, it's not always bad, but single-use plastic is something that is an issue, and it's something that we use too much of. Um, there are some solutions out there right now, and, and there's a lot of really great work uh, trying to scale up those solutions as well, uh, but we have to do a lot more, and very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely overwhelming, at least for me, to think about all of the things that are happening and that need to happen in order to you know, save the planet, save ourselves. Um, I mean, how fast is this progressing, right? What was, I mean, so let's rewind. How, when you first decided, and I'd love to know why you decided to do what you do, right? What was the moment you said, I'm going all in on, on oceans? And what is the difference between then and now? I think that's a, well, that's a great question. Like five years ago, when we were first starting Lonely Whale, so just to back up to Lonely Whale was uh, co-founded by Adrian Grenier, who's an actor and a UN Environment Goodwill Ambassador, um, and Lucy Sumner, who's a producer. Um, and so the two of them were really kind of coming together to try to solve for the issue, which was no one was paying attention to the ocean, yet it was such a critical you know, component of not only climate mitigation, um, but also just our own livelihoods. So you think about you know, the billion plus people that rely on protein from the ocean to live to the fact that it creates every other breath. Um, so it's this big thing that we need to live. There are so many issues that are plaguing it. So how do you find that way and to get people to care? And so I think something that Lucy and Adrian were really brilliant about was identifying plastic as that intersection point for us to really target. Um, and it was something that no one was really talking about either, which I think was, was a pretty fascinating kind of shift in the last five years is just the dramatic attention from um, basically as like a conversation floor of zero to all of a sudden everybody knowing that plastic pollution is an issue. Um, so for me, I don't know, the ocean was always something that was super important. I went to one camp, which was a marine biology camp, super, super nerdy in high school, my goodness. Um, but I, I always loved the ocean. I really wanted to bring, be a marine biologist. I didn't see myself necessarily in that field though. I'm much more of a creative and um, so I didn't wanna lose that part of myself and what drives me. So it was kind of happenstance that I ended up at, at Lonely Well actually, but um, it's been just a nice, you know, group of creatives that are really trying to work on applying that communications and marketing angle to uh, creating a healthier ocean. Yeah, uh, and you do a great job at it. In my mind, you know, Lonely Whale, yourself, Adrian, have really been pioneers of kind of reducing single-use plastic. And it started with, at least my, my experience with it, um, Started, started when you ran the Stop Sucking campaign, 
um, right? And I remember taking the video of the tentacle slapping the straws out of our uh, mouth and stuff. So, you know, how critical do you think it is to focus on, you know, one specific action versus, you know, and have collective action around that specific, you know, straw um, versus, to some extent, having a more realistic approach of we need to do a lot more than that. Um, yeah. I mean, w- w- tell, can you tell me more about that just in terms of how you think we can best impact um, oceans in a positive way? Yeah, completely. So I think, you know, again, like I said, five years ago was a different time. There wasn't a conversation around plastic pollution. And so, you know, understanding our audience from that lens we were really trying to figure out how do we meet people where they are and their understanding of plastic pollution and also in their own agency to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. Cause it is really hard to go to someone and say, Hey, there's, you know, between eight and 12 million metric tons of plastic leaking out into the ocean every year. And you're like, well, okay, I recycle. And then you tell them, well, recycling doesn't really work. And so it, it is, it's a, it's a complicated, it's a layered kind of issue. And so for us really stepping back, looking at something that is, not really a part of the plastic pollution problem, right? Straws are a minuscule amount. I believe it's about 0.2% of all plastic pollution globally annually. So very, very you know, tiny in that, in that um, bucket, but it's something that we all have an experience with. We all have a relationship with single-use plastic straws, especially probably even more so now with the pandemic and just an increase of disposables and takeaways. Um, but so for something like that, we knew we had an opportunity. Everyone has a relationship with straws. You go into restaurants with your family and there's a straw there that you can have a conversation about. Same thing at the bar with your friends. Um, and it was also a really great way for us to then approach folks that do manage businesses to make that shift themselves too. Um, so not just about that individual, individual, but also really about that systemic change. So how do we go after NFL stadiums, um, that bring in such diverse crowds of people that maybe never would think about ocean conservation, yet they can be sipping out of a paper straw and, you know, watching Russell Wilson score a touchdown. Like that's pretty epic. Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. I think it is a, it's a pinhole or a straw hole, if you will, into a broader world of where we can make. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you touched on something quite interesting that's been on my mind and I'm sure has been on yours, which is that in the pandemic, we've seen uh, a need, right? To move towards single use things out of, or maybe there isn't a need, but a perceived need to move towards single use plastics, gloves, masks, et cetera, to combat the pandemic. I mean, which unfortunately feels like a, a massive regression in all the work that's been done. Um, can you share, you know, shed some light on how the pandemic has impacted, you know, plastics and the ocean and I'm yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's been um, a disappointment, I would say, I think for the movement overall. And we've gone through, I think, a couple different phases even of this pandemic and how plastics have really kind of um, peaked and maybe uh, gone back down a little bit. But generally the reports are that between 250 and 300%, that's the increase of plastic usage uh, since the pandemic started, which is of course just one year ago, um, which is massive. So you think about you know this the single-use masks. Those are all made of polymers, which is a plastic fiber. So it's really similar to a lot of our clothing that we wear. It's all derived from fossil fuels. Um, 
And, you know, and I, and I think there is, there has been that increase in fear around reusables, even though there have been some really great reports that have been led by folks at Greenpeace and others that show that reusables are safe, but that's also provoked a lot of policy, either stalls or complete rollbacks in certain areas too. And so I think, you know, we're seeing the plastic industry as well, using this to their benefit um, to be able to, in, you know, increase their production of single-use plastics and also at the same time kind of exploit that individual fear of things maybe being dirty or being able to, you know, protect yourself from COVID with plastics, um, even though that might necessarily not be the, the case, so. Okay, so it's 2021. 2021 is intended to be the year of the ocean, the beginning of the decade of the ocean, uh, and the 30 by 30 campaigns, which I think you should speak about. Um, I wanna know two things. One is, let's just reframe how important the ocean is in the context of the planet, because we so often as terrestrial beings, you know, feel connected to land, but ocean is in fact the majority of the planet, I think. <laughs> Can you first frame the role the ocean plays um, briefly and then get into this whole idea of 2021, year of ocean, decade of ocean. Let, let's learn about that. Yeah, definitely. It's new to me, but Unfortunately, it's new. <laughs> it's new to me. I know. Unfortunately, it's new to you, but yeah. and it's a cool idea, right? The decade of yeah. the ocean. That's a really powerful kind of idea. Um, so the UN started started this or proclaimed that 2021 to 2030 would be the year of the ocean, or sorry, the decade of the ocean, um, and that's really intended to have this solid timeline of um, working towards fulfilling the SDG around. Uh, sustainable, sorry, and the SDGs are the Sustainable Development Goals, um, but around protecting and building more resilient ocean. Um, and so right now, only 7.5% of the ocean around the entire world is, is under some type of protection. That doesn't mean it's under full protection. It might be, you know, limited to um, just kind of coastal regions. So 30%, like that's quite a lot to do in, in 10 years time, essentially. Um, but so the UN is really hoping that together they can help spearhead by bringing together uh, different global stakeholders so that everyone can agree to a framework of how we will together take care of the ocean. So that we do have a common set of principles around um, fishing or, um, you know, other sorts of, you know, protected uh, regions to actually build a more resilient ocean um, because protection is a solution to what's going on with the oceans right now. Right. The more that we can protect, the more that the organisms that live underneath the sea can actually build communities um, that then help stabilize all these issues like ocean acidification and other sorts of things that I mentioned already. So super, super critical. Um, and hopefully the pandemic isn't something that's going to completely derail these efforts. So 30% of the oceans by 2030 yeah. is the goal of the decade of oceans. Countries, top down and bottom up approach, I assume, right? Countries, businesses, yeah. people coming together to figure out how we can actually make a difference. If there is one resource or one thing you could encourage myself or others to go and investigate um, and actually do something about it, what would, what would that be now that we're aware of it? So the World Surf League is doing a really amazing job. So they brought together a coalition of um, 
some number, I can't remember exactly how many organizations right now are, are joined on, but quite a number, um, only well included, of course. And it is, um, it's exactly that. So it's called We Are One Ocean. Um, WeAreOneOcean.org is where you can go. You can sign a petition as an individual. You can learn how to um, actually contact your local lawmakers so you can make a difference within your community. Make sure that your community reps know that it matters to you. So even if you live in Kansas, I'm from the Midwest. So, you know, even if you live in the middle of, of the country, it doesn't mean that you're not connected to the oceans, right? Every drain leads to the ocean. And so I think that's super, super important for folks right now is to figure out how you can take, a, take an action. Um, and I'd suggest starting there. Okay, perfect. That's super helpful. All right. I want to change gears for just a second because okay. one of the things that I find to be super fascinating about the ocean is the just the depth. Uh, and I, I mean that literally and you know metaphorically of the ocean. So I read the statistic that when you're in the middle of the ocean, the deepest part, we are you are closer to the International Space Station than you are to the bottom of the ocean, which to me means there are a ton of creatures down there. There is a ton of life. And in fact, it, we know more about what's outside of our planet than we know what is beneath the surface. So I want to um, hear any fun facts that you have about the ocean. And I also encourage <laughs> what you think about well, this is this may sound a little bit um, goofy, but I watched a I watched a video. I would think it was like a planet Earth esque video about the oceans. And I'm looking at these creatures, and I'm thinking, these are the aliens. These like the aliens. They're not out there. They're under the ocean. They're right here. Yeah. I'm curious if you feel the same way because you could not even, you could not dream the creatures. Uh, their functions, their adaptability, and how they survive and thrive. I could not even dream it, but um, when you see it, it's, it's remarkable. So that's a side note. Anyone who's listening <laughs> or watching, Google some deep water ocean creatures. It'll totally blow your mind. All right, so this is the game. Aliens are in the oceans, yes or no? Yes, 100% yes. Absolutely, okay, perfect. I totally agree. Now. Can you blow my mind with some ocean statistics? I can definitely. So one actually, this goes back to aliens, definitely. So OceanX, have you ever heard of OceanX? Um, mm -hmm. It is led by Mark Dalio and, and Ray Dalio. They're based in New York, actually. So anyways, they do incredible underwater investigation and exploratory um, videos. And one of the things that they actually have recorded, which everyone needs to go and look yeah, up on YouTube, is, what was that? The dance party dahlias? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. We yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Yes. The most epic disco parties. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they, so they had recently found an underwater, well, I'm not sure actually if they discovered it, so I should take a step back, but they recorded the most incredible underwater lake where, and just the phrase underwater lake might sound ridiculous, but it's actually possible. So different levels of salinity actually allow the different kind of levels of the water. So they're mm -hmm. different densities, of course, with different levels of salts. Um, so there's a lake underwater that would actually kill a lot of animals because it is so salty if they actually dove into it. So then there are other creatures that kind of skim around this underwater lake and feast wow. around it. So it's just, that's mind blowing and definitely yeah. something out of it. No, it is. 
Yeah, so that one's cool. Um, and I think my other favorite fact about the ocean is that the largest mountain range uh, in the earth is underwater, which is pretty epic. So again, as well, you're a skier. Are you a boarder? Oh, I'm a skier. Yeah. You're a skier. Yeah, me too. So how cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, and it's incredible to think that it, at some point where we are sitting was underwater, right? Yeah. I mean, like the mountain ranges, the, I mean, all of these things, um, at least from my understanding, you know, have, were more often than not underwater at, at some point. Um, so it's humbling uh, when, when we think about that. Anyway, just wanted to kind of take a, a, a little turn of the conversation because, you know, I think we can talk about impact. I think we can talk about all of these things that have to happen. Of course, that is critical. They have to happen. But when we can also start recognizing that nature, whether it is the forests or the soil or the, the, the oceans, um, have so much wonder, right? We don't just necessarily have to, we shouldn't be looking at these things as diminishing resources that are there for, you know, simply our um, enjoyment, uh, or I'm sorry, for our exploitation or for our use, but rather look at nature through a framework of wonder and awe and what helps make, you know, this world so extraordinary. Um, we develop a different relationship to it. And I think that there's a different and deeper emotional connectivity to why we should be taking action to preserve these things. It's not just because, right, we're, we're you know, we are running out of oil or whatever, right? It's a whole other conversation. But, you know, because when you put your feet in the ocean or you, you know, sit in the forest, there's a deep nourishment, um, on a, a very visceral and, and human level that can't be experienced in on any other way. And I think that the awe and wonder of the creatures that exist in those environments um, make it, are what make it special um, and it's all connected. So thanks for indulging me in that. Um, all right, so one thing that I find really interesting uh, around the work that you do and also the um, the work that I think we both do uh, and that is coming to the surface, <laughs> it's breaching, <laughs> um, you know, more and more every day is the idea of intersectionality. And in this, you know, context, I'd love to talk about the intersectionality of plastics, right? So. Can you define intersectionality for me? Yes, definitely. So the intersectional theory was actually something that was defined by Kimberly Crenshaw. So she is incredible. Definitely look her up if you're not familiar with her work. Um, and then, oops, sorry for the noises. The noise working for home, from home all the time. Uh, <laughs> but sorry, yeah, no. So just take, take a step back. Intersectional theory was defined by Kimber Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, and then this past year, actually, Leah Thomas, um, who goes by Green Girl Leia on Instagram. Um, she helped really bring this theory into the environmental movement, which is really incredible and so, so incredibly needed as well. Um, and so the idea with intersectional theory is really that none of us live single issue lives. Like we all have different identities that we bring into every single space. You know, I'm a woman, I'm a white woman, 
I'm a white woman in ocean conservation. Um, you know, and I think there's, there are those kind of base levels. There are also, you know, your interests. So whether it is, you know, plastic pollution and gender and what those intersections are. And I, so I think the amazing thing with intersectional theory is that we're able to really connect with one another on a deep level to understand what our lived experiences are as people and then that how that intersects with the environment, right? So I think, especially in the work that we do at Lonely Whale, bringing people and, and planet closer together without understanding intersectional theory and how climate change or certain environmental injustices affect different communities more so is vital in, in being able to move forward anything um, that we seek to establish in this movement. Well, beautifully said, um, incredibly articulated. So let's put that to practice, okay? So what is the, I mean, there are many real examples, but let's, let's talk about plastics and intersectional theory applied to plastics. So um, here's the hint. Uh, there are 150 million Americans, 50% of America lives in air quality that is deemed unhealthy by the American Lung Association. That's a problem, <laughs> obviously. Shameless plug, we, you know, I was inspired to build a, a sort of a respiratory and lung health product because of that statistic. But, um, right, like how can we sort of deal with those realities and start supplementing with things that can, can help address it while we're also addressing it on a systemic level. So um, intersectionality, air quality, plastics, people, go. <laughs> yes. Very timely uh, moment to be talking about this too with everything that's going on in Texas. So I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But um, yeah, so how plastic and people intersect specifically in the US. So in the US, this is a stat that I think really helps frame the issue. Um, 75, uh, or sorry, excuse me, black Americans are 75% more likely to live in areas that do have toxic plants. Um, so that's plastic plants, for example, it could be oil refineries, um, things like that. That is clearly unjust, right? And that directly impacts air quality, like you just mentioned, it directly impacts water quality, um, and just general generational trauma that can be inflicted by those environmental in in inequities, um, you know, decade over decade. So that's a, that's a really big issue. Yeah. Um, and right now we're also seeing that play out in Texas. Like obviously we're seeing everyone within that state really be hit hard by um, lack of access to clean water, but primarily those communities that are living next to those toxic plants, they're under extra risk right now because we know that when they shut those plants down, which they've had to do because there hasn't been power, they will spew extra toxins kind of willy-nilly, so to speak, um, which then dramatically, you know, of course, uh, impacts those communities way more so than other communities. So that's really how we see that intersection of plastic play and people play out um, specifically when, within the US. Um, but then there's also the topic again of, of in access to clean water, drinking water. So we see that in Flint and we see that in other areas. Um, and then the solution there of course is to drink prepackaged water. Oftentimes that most of the time it comes in plastic water bottles. Right. You buy plastic water bottles at 2000 times the markup of your tap water. So there's also that financial inequity that's being passed on to communities that are already unjust, unjustly suffering from these capitalist exploits. So it, it's super, super layered and it's um, obviously a systemic problem, but 
but that's that's kind of one way to look at it. I'm just in my mind. I'm just seeing this downward. Yeah. Spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have water. Have to use plastic. Have to pay more. Have to do it. Oh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really sick. Um. It's really it's really un uncool. Um. I think that would be understating it. So. If what so what do we what do we do about it right and I think that you know this kind of leads me to the next question which is talk is cheap right we can talk about this I think we need to be called to action we all know that you know that better than anyone what are the three things that you would want people to know that are happening in the planet or or the oceans more specifically and or and or what can we do today to start moving in the right direction great question so i would start first and foremost with yourself right so figure out what you can do on a consistent basis. So I don't think it's about being perfect. I am definitely not perfect. I use single use plastics, I'll be honest. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to feel like you can at least do it for yourself. So you don't have the imposter syndrome. You don't have the guilt associated maybe with, you know, preaching and not doing like you just mentioned. Um, but I also think it's important because then you can also understand just where you fit into this overall systemic issue and where you can really drive change. So I, I always like to suggest starting with yourself. Um, second, I would say really invest in your community and whatever that means to you. It could be your online community. It could be, you know, your neighborhood community, which is awesome if you can do that um, too, but really finding a way to understand what your immediate environment is going through and how you can play a role in, in making it better. You know, whether that's helping build resilience for future generations, um, or if it's as simple as helping clean up the park every Saturday. So I think that's kind of my second suggestion. Um, and then third would be really tackling more of that systemic problem. So figure out like, how can you make your voice heard? You know, is it making sure that you're signing petitions? Is it making sure that your uh, extended family members are also kind of taking that community action? Um, so thinking then like bigger and outside of yourself. So I think that would be like my tiered way of, of really kind of getting into the environmental space and, and driving forward action that actually is meaningful, both to you and the people around you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I totally agree. I think one of, you know, one of the pillars of um, plant people is education and knowledge sharing. And it's kind of what has informed the, the, the conversation today, right? There's the idea of building products that are holistic and truly do help um, when, you know, when engaged with. The second is knowledge sharing. The third is regenerative activities. But knowledge sharing to me is so interesting because so often in wellness or in kind of the worlds in which, you know, we live, I live, I guess speak personally, it's about me, 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 me. And I think the conversation needs to shift from me into we, right? It needs to move from the bags underneath our eyes to the plastic bags in the ocean. And it needs to shift in, in terms of understanding that when we invest in the we, when we invest and take ownership over our community, over the planet in, in which we live, we're in turn taking care of ourselves. And you know, that we can certainly start on a daily basis with ourselves and do, taking action. Those actions can, can be 
you know, linked to the me uh, to to the us, right? Um, to to the collective, and that's what I think is go it is going to take to um, kind of turn a new leaf. And we're running out of time to turn a new leaf. So the question is um, that I you know sit with every day is truly what can I do? I never feel like I'm doing enough, but understanding that the you know the magnitude of what we're dealing with and and you know the magnitude of what we're dealing with particularly with the oceans you know in this conversation is fuel for that fire right it's fuel to um to to share to change and to grow hopefully in a positive way so i really thank you for the work that you do and the work that um is truly so meaningful and I'm really grateful to be able to hear your expertise and for you to share your knowledge um, with me and with us. So if there are, if, how, how do we learn more? How do we support? Um, where can we uh, follow you? And, and how can we be more helpful to Lonely Well or other ocean organizations? Of course, yes, no, definitely. There are so many organizations. So if plastic doesn't resonate with you, um, there are definitely lots of others that we'd be happy to point you in the direction Hold of. Hold on, it, it should resonate with you. It should resonate with you, resonate but with. if it, I don't know who but it, it doesn't. Resonate with. That's very <laughs> plastic resonates with, with you. And if it doesn't, then, you know, take a look in the mirror, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> or your toothbrush and you're like, oh yeah, that's plastic too. Um, but anyways, yes. Yeah, so follow us on Lonely Whale. So we're at Lonely Whale on pretty much every platform. So, you know, give us a follow, send us a message. Um, you'll be reaching me likely at the other end of the line. So I'm always happy to direct you if you've got questions, if you're looking for resources. Um, but yeah, give us a follow. Okay. We will give you a follow. Um, all right. Plastics, it's everywhere from your toothbrush to the coating around your Advil to the Pepto or the Bismol in Pepto-Bismol. It is in your single-use masks. It is in your lip balm or your Vaseline. It is in your, you know, your blender and your equipments. Perhaps it's what your headphones oh are. My making. eyes right now, I'm wearing contacts. It's in your contacts. It's on your glasses. So- yep. <laughs> it impacts everyone in every single way, and it is severely impacting the oceans. Thank you so much for sharing um, more about that and telling us what we can do. And I can't wait to see you in person. Same. Let's go on a distanced walk in nature. Reap some of those natural benefits. Great. Yeah. And right now it's it's snowy and... Um, you know, maybe we can be snowy before it becomes slushy. It'll be a snow, snowy walk, not a slushy walk. Um, I mean, I'm so happy to see you. Thank you so much for your time. I deeply appreciate you. Um, and I'm looking forward to being able to share this with the world. Thank you. Thanks so much, Gabe.